and I'm the Senior Minister at St John's Presbyterian Church. Uh, great to see you all out tonight in such good numbers. Uh, well, the advertisements have been going out for a while now, haven't they? Pete Kuchizov is being inducted into Soul Church. That's what I've been hearing a lot of recently. Pete Kuchizov this, Pete Kuchizov that. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Pete Kuchizov's name. Tell me, brother, what is it? Kutazov. Okay, I got that. Kutazov. Kutsi. The guy down the, the guy down the front in the shorts. He's being inducted tonight. Uh, it's Kutazov's name has been uh, on all of our bulletins and emails, and that's the way these things roll. You know, Sol has been without a minister for quite a while. David Jones has been helping you find one, and now he's here. Pete Kutazov. God's man for Soul Church. And that's true and that's great. And most of the time, people like me come along to services like this and we read out 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we stick to the first part, verses 1 to 13, and we talk about what the Christian leader should be like. And the guy who's about to be inducted nods along because, I mean, he's not going to shake his head, is he, on a day like today? He's not going to disagree with 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 13, and people like me talk about what we should be looking for in our Christian leaders. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to come along here tonight and tell you what the Bible says Pete should be like. I want to tell you what the Bible says Soul Church should be like. And to do that, I'm going to look at verses 14 to 16. What is Pete being inducted into? That's, a, that's the question, really, that I want us to be thinking about tonight. What is Soul Church? Why are you here? What is your purpose? Why do you belong? Why do you exist? If only there were some verses which would give us the answer to that question. There are. 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. What's your minister going to do? Do you even need one? What's he going to help you to be and to become? Well, we're going to have a look at these verses, 14 to 16. And I want us to be thinking about what is Soul Church? What are its leaders supposed to be like? What are its members meant to be like? Why are you here? What are you doing? Have a look at me, verse 14. There we begin to have the answer to the question, don't we? Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the pillar, sorry, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. What is Pete being asked to lead with the elders? Who are you who collectively call yourselves soul church? Paul says you're three things. God's household, the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's unpack each of those three things which you, soul church, are and need to be. Firstly, God's household. Uh, you are God's household, not God's, not God's house. He's, uh, Paul's not talking about bricks and mortar. Uh, Paul isn't writing to Timothy to tell him how, he, how, how people ought to conduct themselves when they enter a church building on Sunday. 
No, when Paul speaks of the church being a household, he's speaking about the people who live in the house. Uh, the family, in other words, the family. Whose family? God's family. We are God's household. You are God's family. During the Festival of Voices last year, uh, uh, we at St John's um, allowed our building to be used for some, for some uh, performances and some practices, and, and it was actually great to be able to invite the community into our building. We didn't charge them for it. They came in and used our building. It was lovely to open our building up to the people of Hobart, and a few of the performers and organisers mentioned to me in the months after they'd used it that we have a beautiful church. And I know what they mean, they're talking about the building and I thank them for saying that we have a beautiful church, if you like that kind of thing. But in my, com in my mind, the conversation when they said you've got a beautiful church, in my mind the conversation should have gone something like this, you've got a beautiful church, oh, oh have you met my brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, not that I know of. Oh it's just that you said we've got a beautiful church. Uh, yes, you do have a beautiful church. But you haven't met any of them. No, I'm talking about your church. No, you're not. You're talking about our building. You think we've got a beautiful building, but the church is different to the building. The church is God's family. The church is people who acknowledge that God is their father and, and that they are one another's brothers and sisters. The building is just the place where the church comes together to worship God as a family, somewhere to keep the rain off and the sun when it's warm. Oh, I'm so confused. Why is this building called a church on Google Maps? And why do your people talk about going to church on Sunday? Yeah, I know, I wish they didn't do that, I'm sorry. Now look, I think it's great that we at St John's have a building. You guys have got a building. I know there are lots of church plants in Australia who don't have their own building and they'd love to have one to meet in. That's hard having to set up and pack down every week and bump in and bump out again and and they're in the community school or, or, or centre or in, in the school hall and some of them have actually now been told they can no longer come to the community centre or the school hall because, because the community and the school don't want Christians meeting on their properties. So I think it's great to have a building. This is a great building. I've never been in this building before. It looks functional. It's a great building. But coming to a building on Sunday does not mean that you belong to God's church. To belong to God's church is to belong to God's family. To belong to God's family, you need to be born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we need to be born again, not of flesh, but of the spirit. In order to be part of God's church, you need a spiritual rebirth. Going to, going to a building on Sunday doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Ireland makes you Irish. A Christian doesn't go to church a Christian belongs to church. Church isn't an event we attend. Church is a family we belong to. And in God's family, everyone is equal. It doesn't matter your gender or your age or your ethnicity or your cultural heritage. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a year or if you've been Christian for a lifetime. Every member of God's family is equal. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so it is worth saying uh, that, that being, being a church, leading a church, being part of a church is nothing like being part of or leading a political party or a committee. 
leading a church is nothing like running a company or, or being an AFL football coach. Leading a church is nothing like managing a not-for-profit organisation or chairing the Hobart City Council committee meeting. Leading a church is exactly like leading a family. Being in a church is exactly like being in a family. Leading a church, being in a church is about loving and teaching and laughing and correcting and weeping and forbearing and supporting and doing all you can to keep the family together. In the best families, we know, don't we, that older members are respected and cared for and supported by younger members. And young members, when they come, are guided and, and, and helped and they are celebrated for the energy and the imagination and the vitality and the initiative that they bring to the family. That's what church will be like. If you're a leader here, that's what you are trying to foster. Which is why in the passage that we just... Uh, in, in, in the first part of, of this chapter that we read... Uh, we're told that one of the best ways you can tell if someone really is ready to lead their church is to see what they like at leading their family. If they can't lead their small family who live in a small house, they don't get the opportunity to lead their big church family who gathers in a big church building. That's the first thing Paul tells us about the church. It is God's household, family. It's God's family. Who are you, soul church? You are a family. Second, Paul says, soul church, you are the church of the living God. Uh, the church is not Pete's church. Uh, it's not the elders' church. And neither is it right to say that soul church belongs to the Presbyterian Church of Australia. You are the church of the living God. This is God's church. You are God's family. He is living. He's with you. You belong to him. Uh, this is what the Old Testament people knew. Uh, we see in the Old Testament books of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Joshua, it's like a refrain that keeps coming back again and again throughout the Old Testament. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll make my dwelling with you. The living God will be among you. The Lord your God is among you. And God did dwell with his people, firstly in a tent, when they were nomads in the desert, and then in the temple when they became landowners in Jerusalem. And even in the Old Testament, the prophets spoke about a day when the living God would dwell in his people by a completely new and different way. In Ezekiel 37, God tells his people that one day he will do something radically different. He will appoint over them a king who will be a descendant of David, and this king will be an eternal king, and God himself will come and dwell in his people by his spirit forever. Tents are gone, temples are gone, people are the dwelling place of God. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are the temple of the living God. It's why we can read in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's why Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 18 that when two or three of us are gathered together in his name, he'll be there with us. Friends, you can go to your book club or your sporting club or your running group or your yoga class. You can go to your Friends of Mount Wellington rally. You can go to your school staff meeting. You can go to your men's shed get-together. You can, you can join your car club drive down to Kettering. You can go to any organisation 
that you can mention and not one of them will have the Holy Spirit humming away in their midst. The spirit of Don Bradman does not dwell in your cricket club helping you have an average of 99. The spirit of Sherpa Tenzing Norgay does not dwell in your mountain climbing group giving you strength so that your failing legs can, can go on to climb Mount Everest. The spirit of, of Ansel Adams does not make his sanctuary among your photography society, turning you into the greatest black and white photographer of landscapes that Australia's ever seen. There is no supernatural power in the choir that you're a part of or in the marching band you're thinking of joining or in any group of people who form themselves. The only group of people who know anything about a supernatural power are those God has called into being by himself. It's those whom God has adopted into his family. It's those whom God has come to dwell in by his spirit. And friends, let me tell you, if God is in you by his spirit, if God is, in, if God is here with us today, and every Sunday as we gather, if God has chosen you and your family to be his dwelling place, then shouldn't we expect our Sundays to have an element of the spectacular about them? We should be expecting God to meet with us as we, as, as, as we meet, should we not? We should be expecting to hear God's voice speak to us directly through his word, should we not? We should be expected to have, to have him move us into action on his behalf and be given the strength to be able to move as he calls us to, should we not? I really like the way that Ralph Turnbull describes the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It's in Turnbull's biography of Edwards, which was published in 1958 by the Banner of Truth. This is what Turnbull says about Jonathan Edwards' preaching. His style was the expression of deep, pent-up emotion and thought, which caught fire in the blaze of God's love and man's need of the redeeming message. Edwards pointed to Christ. To him, Christ was real and unavoidable. He ministered, did Edwards, to bring the people face to face with the Lord of life. Face to face with the Lord of life. That's what preaching is. It's not, it's not giving a talk. It's not explaining the Bible. Preaching is not giving the message. It's logic on fire. As David Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say. Um, it was said, that John, John Wesley apparently said that people will come from miles away to watch a man burn. Speaking of preaching, This is Sunday I'm talking about. This is the gathering of God's family. It's bringing people face to face with the Lord of life. It's, it's heralding Christ in such a way that the preacher's words catch fire in the hearts of people. That's what happens when God dwells in us, when God's power is unleashed on a Sunday afternoon. And so my question to you is, Soul Church, why would you want to be anywhere else?
What could possibly be more exciting (laughs) or more compelling than coming face to face with the Lord of life through the preaching of God's word here on a Sunday night? You see, there is a power in the church that exists nowhere else on earth a power to raise the spiritually dead, a power to change our lives on the spot. The same Christ who walked the earth and healed the sick and raised the dead and forgave the sinners and condemned the Pharisees and denounced the religious leaders, that same Christ is here with us. He's here with you. And he's here in us. And he's here in you. He's here in you as you gather on Sunday and he's here in you as you scatter throughout the week. You are the church of the living God, which means that there is a power in you, not in any other group of people who you meet with throughout the week. Is it any wonder that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul imagines that there will be non-believers who will attend a Sunday gathering? And those non-believers who attend will be so convicted of their sin and so moved by the gospel message that they will fall down and worship God and they will exclaim, God is really among you. What Pete Kuchizov needs, what this church needs, what Hobart needs is members of Seoul who have this high view of God's church. Pete needs, Hobart needs you guys to know what it means to be part of the church of the living God. You, soul, you, you need to be people who never grow tired of pointing others to Christ and his glory. The members here need... You, you need to not allow your imagination to limit what God can do through your church in this place. You need, you need to be people who are willing to be broken out of your comfortable little life so that God through you can explode into the world as the spirit-filled followers of Christ that you are go out with the message of hope. So what is soul? Two things, God's household, family, church of the living God. Thirdly, pillar and foundation of the truth. Uh, The foundation of a building gives it stability. A building without a foundation falls flat and becomes a pile of rubble. And And so what Paul is saying is that the church is responsible for holding the truth in place. The church is responsible for giving the truth a secure footing and making sure that it's not compromised or eroded or diminished in some way. It holds up the truth. That's what the church is here for. That's what you guys are here for, to hold up the truth, to hold it secure, the foundation of a building. What's Paul mean when he talks about it being a pillar? A pillar in a building is not just there to keep the roof up. uh, It's to thrust the building high up in the sky so it can be seen by people from all around. Uh, The world's greatest example of this kind of building uh, at the time this was written was actually in Ephesus, Uh, and it was the temple of Diana. One Greek poet wrote, I have seen the walls of the hanging gardens of old Babylon, the statue of Olympian love, 
Oh, Jove, sorry. The Colossus of Rhodes, the great labour of the lofty pyramids and the ancient tombs of Morsalus. But when I beheld the, ta- the temple at Ephesus towering to the clouds, all these other marvels were eclipsed. Buildings don't have pillars for stability. Buildings have pillars so that they can be seen. And so John Stott makes the point in his commentary on 1 Timothy that just as pillars lift a building high while remaining unseen themselves, the church is not to advertise itself and draw attention to itself. Its role is to advertise and draw attention to the truth. And so taking these two images of church together, that it is the foundation and pillar of the truth, we can see the church's responsibility, sole church's responsibility, is to hold up the truth and hold out the truth. Foundation, pillar. Hold up the truth, hold out the truth. The church needs to defend the truth, proclaim the truth. Well, what is this truth that the church is required to defend and proclaim? What is this truth that Soul Church is required to hold up and hold out? It's the truth that Paul goes on to speak about from verse 16. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Now, what's all that about? Well, it's all about Jesus. And if you know Colin Buchanan and some of his songs, then what, uh, what I want to suggest is that Paul is giving us uh, ideas based on big words that end in shun. That's a Colin Buchanan song. Big words that end in shun show us what the Lord has done. And so we've got incarnation, resurrection, ascension, proclamation, conversion, consummation. Big words that end in shun. All of them are there in in this verse. He appeared in the flesh. This is Christmas. Incarnation. The word becoming flesh. He was vindicated by the spirit. Resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. Proving that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Seen by the angels, ascension, (laughs) as he went to his Father's right hand. Preached among the nations, that's proclamation of the gospel. This is the era we live in now, as the church holds out the gospel. It is proclaimed, believed on in the world, that's conversion. As the gospel is heard and sinners are born again, taken up in glory, that's consummation. As, the, as, as, as in the final day when Jesus and his people are, are taken up in glory as, as he returns to earth for that second time. This is the story of Jesus, you see. The truth is the story of Jesus from incarnation to consummation. That's the gospel. This is the truth which Soul Church needs to be building itself on and proclaiming to the world. Holding up, holding out. And, you know, we we say, oh, isn't the media terrible? 
Oh, all the lies. They haven't been given the responsibility by God to tell the truth. You have. What do you expect the media to do? Oh, the leftist agenda. Who cares about the leftist agenda? We've been given the truth. It's up to us to do it. Stop being so surprised that someone who isn't the church is telling lies about God and the world and the future. Soul Church needs to have leaders and members who are thoroughly convinced that the story of Jesus from incarnation to consummation is true. And notice, notice how Paul uses the past tense about things that, ha- that are either happening now or haven't yet happened. He was believed on in the world, says Paul, speaking in the past tense. He was taken up in glory, speaking in the past tense. Those things are happening now and haven't yet happened. And yet Paul is so convinced that these things are true, he's speaking about them as though they are absolutely foregone conclusions. Such is his conviction that what he's writing is true. You need to be like that soul church. You need your leaders to be men and women who show the congregation how to hold onto the truth and how to hold out the truth. I heard, I heard the story once of a young man studying in an Anglican college. Uh, it was in Sydney, actually, quite a number of years ago. Uh, as part of his training, it was, he, was a, he was a student at Moore College and he was sent out to spend some time on the job with a, with a very experienced Anglican minister who may not have come in through the Moore College door into, into, the, uh, into the church in Sydney. At a few weeks together, this young man with the older mentor, much older, at the end of their time together, the old minister wrote his report to Moore College. Dear sirs, I do not recommend that this young man enter the Anglican ministry for he is obsessed with Jesus. To which I say, send him our way, people. We want our ministers, we want our elders, we want our members to be single-minded and obsessed with, with the story of Jesus, don't we? We need leaders here in our church. You need leaders here in this church who know the story of the gospel and who will go to the stake defending its truth. You need people here who are consumed, obsessed with Jesus, who are controlled by Jesus, who are engrossed and fixated and and taken over by Jesus. Soul needs to have people in it who are absolutely convinced that there is no other truth worth dying for. Because according to Paul, it is the good news of Jesus and only the good news of Jesus which you as a church are responsible for holding up and holding out. Believe it, thrust it high into the world. So we've covered a lot of ground. The way you can help uh, your new minister, Pete Kuchizov, is by knowing who you are, Soul Church. By knowing why you are here. You are God's family. You are the church of the living God. You are the pillar and foundation of the truth. What is the truth? It's the truth of the good news of Jesus, 
from his, con from his incarnation to his consummation, and you need to be obsessed about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for these verses. Uh, thank you, for, uh, thank you for, for making it clear to us who are part of this church what you are expecting of us. Thank you that you've come to dwell in us by your spirit and that you want Soul Church to be these things. And so we pray that we, as your people, in whatever church we're part of, would be depending on you so that we might live up to this high calling. In Jesus' name, amen.